This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Good morning, New Song Church. How's everybody doing? <laughs> year eight, there you go. There's a good start to year eight. Hey, welcome everyone. Look at this room. It is full of people. So happy to have you all with us. As we celebrate eight years of New Song Church this weekend, uh, man, it's hard to believe. In, in, some, in some ways, it feels like yesterday that we were having that first service because I remember all the feels of that day. There was a lot of feels. Our, our sound person didn't show up, so we've been rehearsing with our band, working on this first service, and then that morning, our sound person doesn't show up. David, who's like 20 at the time, is in full freakout mode. It was awesome. Uh, we're setting up, and we, you know, we've, we've kind of done this one time, but we don't know what we're doing. We're having to t- ter- totally turn this elementary school into a church. And uh, so, you know, you show up in, in your workout clothes, basically, and then you, ch- and you change into your, your church clothes, which for me at that time I thought would be a suit. Since we were in a, ch- <laughs> since we were in a school, I wanted people to take me seriously. So I was wearing a suit for like the first month, and I was like, this is dumb, Okay. <laughs> And we've, we've changed quite a bit since then. Uh, but man, God has, has been so faithful. I look back at all that now, and I'm just reminded of the faithfulness of God. It was not because we were like really skilled and knew what we were doing, because we did not. Uh, but God brought together this group um, of about 50 people who helped us to that first Sunday launch a service with 200 people that we then began to grow backwards over the next six weeks until we got to about 100 people and then began to, to grow. Um, any OGs in the house? Anybody that was there that first Sunday, if that's you? Let me see you. Yeah, a lot of front row, a lot of front row. Jake, in fact, Kaylee, Kaylee's repping the first ever New Song shirt right there. That's the one. I designed that one, and it was everybody hated it. But anyway, <laughs> she didn't. She's wearing it. She kept it. I think I threw mine away. But to all of you who have been a part of, of what God has done over the past 416 weekends, uh, whether you've been here for all of those, some of those, whether you're brand new to the church, we just want to say thank you. And uh, we're so excited about what God has done, about what God is doing, and more than ever, truly believe that our best days are our next days. We believe God has a lot more uh, in, the, in, the, in the future than, than what we've done and what we've seen in the past. And so we're excited to go on this journey with you. Thank you for being with us. After the service is over, there's cookies out in the lobby. There's a little photo op out there. And uh, also we got some new merch that we launched at Landmark Assembly. So if you want to pick that stuff up too, if there's any left, I don't know. But uh, go pick up some of that, all right? If you got your Bible, go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Men, make sure you register for... Our men's retreat, it's going to be super, super good. We're doing it a one-night, or not even a one-night event this year. We're just doing a one-day event because a lot of you men snore, and we've decided that it's just better. It's just better that we just go home, right? Get sleep in your own bed. But we've got, we've got a great, we've got a really awesome uh, place that we're going to, and it's going to be a power-packed, fun day. And so we want, uh, if you're a teenager, young men, 
men in the house. Bring your sons. If your sons are, are in a student age, we'd love for them to be there. It's going to be really, really good. And uh, like Pastor Josh Romano said, um, if you can't afford it, if you really can't, just let us know because we don't want anyone to miss out because of financial reasons. So we'll, we'll find a way to get you there. Just, just let us know, all right? We're in a series um, called Joy Letter, and this is the second to last week. Next week, we'll be closing out this series. Then we'll start a brand new series called Altars, which I'm really excited about. Uh, but we've been looking at this book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote from a, from a prison cell in chains to this group of people that he loved, and we've been looking at it and, and kind of diving into it. And today, uh, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4 and verses 2 through 9. I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll begin to kind of start to unpack it, all right? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I implore you, Eudia, Euodia, 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 there you go. And I implore you, Sintica, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Does anybody, when they, they hear that verse, they go back to that, like, you're like a kid, you're like, rejoice in the Lord always. Remember that? And again, I say, rejoice, hey, hey, rejoice in the Lord. In the 80s, like, church was super Russian. The music was super Russian. <laughs> Every song felt like you're going, hey, hoo, ha, hey. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Now notice this part, are you with me? Notice this part. The Lord is at hand. Somebody say, the Lord, the Lord is, at is at hand. Another translation says, the Lord is near. That's the idea. The Lord is, is close. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God... The peace of God, not the peace of perfect circumstances, but the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, set a guard, set a military guard on your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. In other words, think on these things. Keep coming back to these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Somebody say, you got to do it. You don't just hear it, you got to do it, right? And the God of peace will be with you. Today, I believe that God has sent me to talk to you about verse number five. In the context of all of this, the, these verses here, this verse number five that sits in the middle is so important to what God is inviting us to do and all the to-dos that he places before us here. And that is this idea that the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we invite you to be here. And I pray that today there would be uh, a recognition within all of us on a deeper level that the living, loving Jesus is near, is close, is at hand, is touchable and approachable and reachable. Lord, I pray that you would seal that, that in our hearts today. And Lord, I thank you for eight years of New Song Church. Thank you for what you've done. And Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do in this service today. I know that there are gifts that you want to give on this birthday service, at this birthday service. So Lord, we pray that you would uh, move in a mighty way, speak life, healing to all of those who are here. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody say, the Lord is at hand. That's a powerful statement. Like seriously. A very powerful statement to recognize that the Lord is at hand, that He is close. We don't serve a distant God. 
We're not approaching some God that's millions and billions of light years away. In fact, uh, really, if you study the context of, of what the Bible teaches related to this idea of the concept of heaven, it's that heaven is just kind of in, in the same realm that we live in. It's just veiled to our understanding that God is really close. And beyond that, and I'll talk about this in a, in, in a moment, Jesus is within you. Jesus within you. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. And, and that's a powerful truth that is not only vital to these verses that we're reading here, but it's also vital to just our living of our life is the recognition of the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Because that, or, or a revelation of that in your life can change your life completely. And being able to connect, know that you can connect and reach out and connect with a God who is at hand and grab a hold of his hand in your life yeah. is a game changer. Years ago, we were at a playground with uh, our kids. This was when we lived in Frisco, Texas. And Frisco had some incredible playgrounds for kids. And so there was this playground we went to. It had this huge, massive wooden playground. And at the time, uh, my son Gus was four. My daughter Bo was one. And, uh, and Sonny wasn't even born yet. So we, had the, we just had the two. Sarah was with Bo, and I was with Gus. And we were kind of doing all the activities at this playground. Well, in one area, there was this balance beam. And it was probably eight inches wide or so, about 12 inches off the ground. And uh, Gus, who's four, is trying to go across this balance beam, and he is struggling. Like, he keeps falling. Now, when you're little, here's the thing. Balance is difficult, you know? Like, you've, noticed, you've seen kids fall a lot. You know why they do that? Because their heads are huge. <laughs> they really are. When you're an adult, your head makes up 6% of your body. When you're a child, it makes up 18 to 25% of your body. I looked it up this week. It's crazy. They, they, showed, they showed these pictures of like what you would look like if you stayed like a toddler, like frame, but you grew up. Look it up sometimes. Nuts. We would look like Neanderthals. It's wild. But when your head is like 25%, like that thing gets going the wrong way and you're going to fall. So Gus is struggling. Gus is struggling. And so I'm watching him struggle and I decide, you know what, I'm going to help him out. So I go over to him and I reach out my hand. I say, hey, you need some help? And he said, yes. And I, and I reached out my hand to him. He reached out his hand, took my hand, and now everything changed. Yeah. Now he is able to draw strength and balance from my position of strength and balance. He can bring the strength and balance that I have into the, the, the situation that he finds himself in. And he can draw that strength into his situation. And now... Not only is he able to walk across the beam and not fall, he's actually like gaining confidence in walking across the beam. He's running across the beam. Now, I tell you that because the reality is a lot of us, we're going through life and, and we struggle. And one of the reasons we struggle is because we've got a big head. And we think we can do this on our own. And so we, we just kind of try to figure it out and we keep falling, we keep stumbling, we keep messing up. And the reality is you need to recognize there's a God who, who reaches out his hand to you today and offers you his hand. And he wants to walk with you in partnership. And whatever it is that you're facing, you can draw strength and balance and then gain confidence in what, it is, in what it is that God's called you to do because you're drawing your strength and your balance. You recognize it's from the Lord. The Lord is at hand. Somebody say, the Lord is at hand. And so Apostle Paul, as he begins to conclude this, this letter that he's written to these people that he loves from a prison cell, he begins to start to unpack and kind of rapid fire some to-dos at them. He wants them to do some stuff. I want you to do this and do that. And, and to help them with these to-dos, he, he grounds them in this powerful done that has been done by Jesus. 
So uh, Bible scholars will tell you that when you're, when you're reading scripture that you, you should pay attention to the imperatives. You should pay attention whenever there's a, a, a phrase in the Bible that, that kind of speaks to the idea of now do this. Because when there's a now do, it's typically grounded by some truth to do it from. That's close by in the text. And so Paul's given all these to-dos. Verse 2, be of the same mind as the Lord. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Verse 8, meditate on these things. And right in the middle of these practical do's is a truth to do them from, and that is the Lord is at hand. It's the Lord being at hand that's going to enable you to do this. And it's the truth to do from that makes the doing possible. Those things outside of your connection to God and your relationship with God, you cannot do. But connected to God, it can be accomplished. So so here's something worth writing down. Any good to do from God is grounded in the good done by Jesus. Take a note, write that down, and you should be a lot more excited about it than you are. Any good to do from God is grounded in a good done by Jesus. What's the good done by Jesus? It's the cross. It's the cross. It's the resurrection. Jesus died. He completed a work, and now that work strengthens you to do whatever it is God's inviting you to do. Let me give you a case in point. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Sarah taught out of Philippians chapter 2. She read this verse in verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the to-do. You're to work out your salvation. Verse 13, for it is God, or for is the because there, because it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So the to-do is work out your own salvation. What's been done is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so now, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, you can receive your salvation, and you can begin to work out your salvation Because he is at hand and he will help you to work it out. It says, for it is God who works. And notice he doesn't just work in you to help you to do it. He also gives you the will to do it. So this is a total game changer work that God wants to do within you. But you cannot work your own own salvation on your own. You work it out in partnership with God. This is how God works in our life. So any good to do from God is grounded in the good done by Jesus. So as Paul gives this series of practical to-dos here... They are grounded in this grand truth to do them from, and that is Jesus has died on the cross. He has saved us, and now because of that, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is reachable. The Lord is touchable. The Lord is, you, can, you have the possibility of being able to connect with him. And because he's available, because he's, he's now here, you can do what the Lord's called you to do. If you made Jesus Lord of your life, write this down, Jesus is in you. Like the Lord is at hand. Listen, he can't be more at hand than in in you. Like he is in you. The Bible makes this clear. Look, 1 Corinthians 3.16. God's spirit dwells in your midst. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives, say it with me, in me. Colossians 1.27. It says Christ in you is the hope of glory. Jesus is in you. And him being in you is what's enabling you to do what he's calling you to do. Dallas Willard says this, the kingdom of God is not merely around us, it is within us, where the Lord reigns. Which is why, it, 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 why God, Jesus, makes these statements about, like, I'm the bread of life, I'm the living water, I'm, I'm, the, I'm your savior. Like, these statements that he makes about being our savior, being our helper, understand, that's still who Jesus is. Yeah. Like, he didn't come here and do a work, and now he's completely disconnected from that work. Who he was, 
is who He is and who He still wants to be. And since He's close to you, He's close at hand, He can be a Savior who's close at hand. He can be a healer who's close at hand. He can be a deliverer who's close at hand. Oswald Chambers says the greatest revelation we can have is not merely knowing about God, but experiencing His presence within. Notice where it is, within our hearts. Jesus is in you. He's close at hand. Priscilla Shire says the Lord's presence within us is our secret weapon against the challenges of life. With Him, we can conquer all. And so Paul here gives us these five practical to-dos that are grounded in an amazing truth to do them from the Lord is at hand. So let me unpack these for you. Here's number one. If you're taking notes, because Jesus is at hand, it's possible to live in unity. It's possible to live in unity. And God wants us to live in unity. Verse two, I implore, I implore you, Eudia, you Odia, God, I keep saying that wrong. And I implore you, Sintica, to do, here's the to do, be of the same mind in the Lord. So we don't exactly know what's going on with these two gals, but we know that there's a beef, right? There's some kind of conflict, and it's, it's to the extent that it's, it's causing a problem within the church to the point that Paul has to address it. And as Paul addresses it, I want you to notice how he does it. He, he addresses it from a relational standpoint, and he reminds them of who they are. He reminds them of the relationship they have with the Lord and with each other. Look at what he says in verse 3. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women. He's talking to the church who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with uh, and, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He uses that, that phrase there, fellow workers, is a, a Greek word, sugzugos. It means yoke fellows. It's, so if, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, then you're part of the family of God. And in that family, you are yoke fellows with each other. Yes. You're yoke fellows. So look at the person beside you and say, hey, you a yoke fellow with me. <laughs> now, they're yoked, right? And yoked is not like when you, like weightlifting term. Like, you know, it's not like, dude, that guy's yoked. And it's not that. It's that they're connected. There's a connection, right? And in Bible times, they would take an ox, they would take two oxen, they would yoke them together. There was this big wooden thing they would put between them and they would use it and now that harness would now enable them to harness their power and connected together, they could do greater works than they could do on their own. They were stronger together, connected, yoked together. Paul's reminding them of that. That's who you are. So he's reminding them of, of their relationship. Hey, you're yoked to God, yes, but you're also yoked to each other. And we have an assignment to do. And in the assignment, if there's disunity, it's going to keep us from the assignment. You're not going to be able to pull the load that God's inviting you to pull if you're not connecting with the church, if you're not connecting with the other people that God invites you to be connected with. So we, we have to be connected. Unity is the will of God for us as the, as the people of God. In fact, uh, in, in John chapter 17, Jesus prays a prayer over the church praying that they would be the people of unity. Uh, some call it the, the high priestly prayer. Some call it the prayer of unity. But the theme of this prayer is that the people of God would be walking in unity. Jesus prayed this prayer specifically knowing that it would be read, it would be looked at, it would be studied. Why? Because he needed people to understand that unity is a big deal. John 17 verse 20. I pray also that those uh, who believe in me, this is Jesus talking, through their message, that all of them may be one. That's unity. You're talking about unity, right? 
Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them. Notice that I in them. There it is again. Jesus is in you and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. There it is. Unity. Why? Here's why. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity is important. Unity is important enough that Jesus himself prayed a prayer, a model prayer for us to look at to recognize the importance of unity in our life. And it makes sense when you really think about it because if you really think about it, the cross is a work of unification. Like, what, what was the cross? It was, it was a work to deal with sin, right? And what does sin do? It separates. Sin is divisive. It, it, sin keeps us from a relationship with God. Sin disconnects us from God. Sin keeps us from being able to connect with a holy God. And sin will get in between us and other people and disconnect us and cause division within us. And so Jesus came and died on the cross to deal with sin. So you could say it like this. Jesus gave his life to bring about unity, to connect you with God and to connect you with other people. So unity is a big deal. It's not just, and it's not just something that we just need so that our life will be a little bit better. It's actually something God wants us to, to rep to the world so the world can see an image of God in this world. Because Jesus was about unity. When we're walking in unity, we're imaging Jesus Christ to the world. So when we come together as believers, when we come together, because listen, in the world, have you, have you noticed the world is not real unified on stuff? Have you noticed that? There's a lot, of, a lot of division that exists in the world today. And so when we as the church, a group of individual people, begin to come together under one cause, under one purpose, and begin to walk in unity together and, and fight for the bottom, a, a life of, of, of serving, of surrendering, of, of walking together to complete the tasks that God's put before us, it's a powerful, powerful thing. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Through unity, we're not just spreading the gospel in words. We're also showing the world what God is all about. Charles Finney says this, There are people who will not be in heaven because they have not seen the reality of Christ in a living human being. The Lord is at hand. He is coming again. Charles Finney used to talk about this idea that as a, as a pastor, one of the things a pastor does is they're kind of like a, a lawyer that's, that's arguing the case of Jesus to this world. And that what the pastor would, would love to see happen is that when he calls parishioners to the stand, that they would testify in their life of what he's saying is true. But he said it's, it's sad because very often what happens is he, he speaks and he, he gives a testimony of, of what's true and then they stand up and, and their lives don't align with the truth of the testimony. You, you tracking with me? So it's important that our lives align with the testimony that Jesus is at hand. Because he, has, he is at hand. Beyond him being close to us, listen, he's coming back again. And there's people who don't know him who are not going to go to heaven, who are going to be disconnected from, from him for eternity. So it's important that we walk in unity together. Are you with me? Yeah. So how do we do it? How do we make every effort to be of the same mind in the Lord? Well, one of the ways we do it is we remember that the Lord is at hand. We remember that Jesus is close by. And, and, and one of the great works of Jesus is he is a reconciler. He is the great reconciler. And so we recognize he's at hand. And when we find ourselves not walking in unity, we as a church, when we see it, we, we connect with the Lord. We reach out to the Lord, connect with him. And then we, we begin to deal with the disunity that we see. 
And if it's in us, we reach out to the Lord and we say, God, I need you to help me to walk in unity with this person. To do what I need to do, to change what needs to be changed in me so that I can walk in unity and serve them. And, and when we reach out to the Lord now, through Him we gain His strength and His stability from His position where He is unified with, with the Holy Spirit and with God the Father in heaven. We're able to draw strength from Him into our situation and walk in a greater form of unity in this world. So what do we do? We reach out to the Lord because Jesus is at hand. It's possible to live in unity. Here's number two. Because Jesus is at hand, it's possible to know real joy. Verse four, rejoice. Notice these next three words, in the Lord. It's not in your situation. Like you're not rejoicing because your circumstances are perfect. You're rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And then notice this, always and then he says in the same verse, and again, like he says it always. And again, like that speaks to the fact that your circumstances are not going to be perfect. <laughs> like if he wouldn't say that if it was going to be so easy. The reason he repeats himself and says always is because he knows it's not going to be easy because he knows there's going to be circumstances that come against you that try to steal away your joy. But your joy is not based on the circumstances. Your joy is rooted in the Lord. Warren Wiersbe says this, Paul repeats rejoice. Because he knows that the Christian life can be filled with trials and difficulties. Anybody remember, notice that? Anybody felt that? Yeah, yeah. Nobody but me? Okay. He wants believers to understand that their joy is not dependent on circumstances, but on their relationship with Christ. We don't rejoice in our circumstances. You don't have to thank God that you're sick or thank God that you lost your job. or thank, But you can thank God in the middle of whatever you're facing because you know He'll be faithful. And He'll see you through it. The Lord is at hand. And here's the thing about, about knowing that the Lord is at hand. This is why this is so powerful for you when it comes to joy. is because Jesus is a source of joy. Yes, he is. He's a source of joy. Let me show you this. John or, uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 8 says this. Though you have not seen him, talking about Jesus, you love him. Anybody there? You may have never seen Jesus, but you still love him anyways, right? Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. How about there? You believe in Jesus even though you've never seen him? Okay. It says, and are filled. Somebody say filled. filled. Say it like you mean it. Filled. filled. With an inexpressible and glorious joy. So even though you've never seen Jesus, even though you, you, you believe in him in spite of the fact that you've never seen him, there's this inexpressible joy that you can experience that comes from him because he is a source of joy in your life. John 15, 11, Jesus talking, he says this, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Notice if you have the joy of Jesus in you, the joy of the Lord, you are full of joy. Yeah. Now, again, this, is not, this idea of joy is not the same idea as happiness that we see. Happiness is a word that's rooted in the, the word hap actually means luck. So happiness is based on circumstances being, you, you having your circumstances be lucky enough that everything's working out for you. But how many of you know, it doesn't always work out that way, does it? So, so if you're living for this place of chasing after this happiness that's based on luck, your life is going to be up and down. And your happiness is going to be up and down. But listen, joy is not about luck. Joy is about lordship. It's about making Jesus the Lord of your life and from that place being rooted and grounded in his joy, which can strengthen you and can overflow in you no matter what you're, you're facing. I love this quote. Karl Barth says this, Joy in Philippians is a defiant nevertheless. 
a defiant nevertheless, that Paul sets like a full stop against the Philippians' anxiety. Nevertheless, the Lord is at hand. I don't care what I'm facing. Nevertheless, the Lord is at hand. Nevertheless, I will rejoice. Nevertheless, again, I will rejoice. Nevertheless, I will always rejoice because nevertheless, God is at hand. He's with me and my joy is rooted in him. So I will have joy no matter what I face. Because Jesus is at hand, it's possible to know real joy. Here's number three. Because Jesus is at hand, it's possible to respond to difficulties with gentleness. Or let me say it like this. It's possible to respond to difficult people. See, that's a different story, isn't it? Sometimes it's easy to be like, okay, I can respond to difficult circumstances with gentleness. But when it's like difficult people, oh, okay. Right? Some, that's when it's like, okay, you, you're going to mess with me? Well, I will mess with you right back. You're going to take a shot at me? I will take ten shots back. But, but look at what the Bible says. Let your gentleness be known to some men. No, it says all, right? Somebody say all. All is your spouse. You with me today? All is your kids. All is your employees. All means all, right? Now, we live in a harsh world, don't we? There's a lot of harshness, a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness in this world. And what I see often that's disappointing is what we see in the world is what I see in the body of Christ. I have a conversation with somebody and it's like, hey, did you do this? And they're like, yeah, I did that, but I did that because they did that. Okay, well, you understand that's called retaliation. <laughs> and that's not, a, that's not like a kingdom concept. That's the thing that Jesus talked about when he said, hey, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's not how it works, guys. This is not what we do. And, and the problem with retaliation is it just keeps going. Like somebody's got to stop it. Somebody has to stop it. And, and so often we don't, we don't stop it. We just add to it as the church, as the body of Christ. We just add to it. So Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Now he uses a word, and I had to spend a lot of time on this word this week because it's kind of a unique word for gentleness. There's a lot of times in scripture we see this idea of gentleness and it's this idea of meekness, right? And that has a little bit to do with it, but this is a different idea. This word is epiakes, and it means to be mild and reacting to another. And the, the idea behind it is this concept of being ready to forgive, like being quick and ready. Like you are ready. Instead of ready to fire back, right. <laughs> you're ready to forgive. I love this. This guy, Matthew Arnold, says this. The epiakis individual ex- exhibits a sweet reasonableness. That's a good word to write down in your notes today. Or good two words to write down in your notes. Sweet reasonableness. Reflected in an attitude that does not hold grudges, but always, notice this, always gives others the benefit of the doubt. This word conveys this idea that one is satisfied with less than what is due, which is the heart of God. Psalm 86 verse 5 says this, For, for thou, O Lord, art kind and gentle. And the Greek Septuagint, which went back and took this Hebrew text and put it into Greek terms, this word they use for gentle is this same word, epiakis. So it means, For thou, O Lord, art kind and mild in redacting to another and quick to forgive and plenteous in mercy to all who call upon thee. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. So guess what? That's the heart we should have. 
right? We're practicing the way of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. So if we're practicing the way of Jesus, that's who we have to be. I get that sometimes that's hard. I get sometimes it's hard to not let them have it, but that's why Jesus is at hand. So we can draw strength and balance from Him. So when that moment comes where we're ready to fire back, when our blood starts boiling, we start getting angry, we can connect with the hand of God, we can slow our roll, and we can allow Him to minister what needs to be ministered to in that moment. Jesus is at hand, so we can draw strength and balance from His gentle nature. And instead of firing back and giving them their just due, you can be gentle and reacting, and your gentleness shuts down the anger and the wrath and the hostility. The Bible says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Your harsh word ain't doing anything but making it worse. So Jesus is at hand. Jesus is near. And the living from the new nature that we have in Christ Jesus means Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so we're living in such a way that that Christ in you begins to shine through you. And that hope of glory comes out in your life. And it points people to a greater work that Jesus wants to do. That that God is at hand and that He loves them. And it shuts them down and quiets their soul so they can actually receive ministry from the Lord. It's a big deal. Because Jesus is at hand, it's possible to respond to difficulties and difficult people with gentleness. I want you to know something. If you're a Christian, if you made Jesus the Lord of your life, understand this. You're stronger than them. You're stronger than them. And what God wants you to do is He wants you to take that strength and instead of using it to fire back, He wants you to use it to restrain yourself so that you can image His gentleness to the world. Because gentleness is is strong. Gentleness is powerful. It can be so powerful. When you come across a, a gentle individual who's slow to speak and quick to listen, I'm telling you, it'll slow you down. It'll slow down wrath. It reminds me of Isaiah 42. It says this, talking about, it's, this is a messianic prophecy, talking about the nature of Jesus, how Jesus would be in this world. It says this, Here is my servant, talking about Jesus, the coming Messiah, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Look at this, verse 2. He will not shout, out, shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. Uh, a bruised reed, a, a reed was like this long kind of piece of grass. So think about it, like a long strand of kind of straw-like grass. Uh, that can be very easily broken, very easily bent. This verse says that a bruised reed he will not break. It says a smoldering wick. That's like the candle that you have in your house that's on its last leg. Like it's about to, it's about to go out. It just barely has a little flame just on the very end of it. And it says that he will not snuff that out. In other words, the nature of Jesus is so gentle in how he moves in the world that, that if he moves by that candle, he's moving in such a way. He's very aware of it and he's carefully moving around it so that he doesn't put out what's there. He's careful with that, that blade of grass that's already kind of in a weak state to be gentle enough with it that he doesn't do something that puts it over the top and breaks it. This is the nature of Jesus. This is the nature that we're called to carry. Listen, gentleness, that takes restraint. It takes restraint to be gentle like that. It takes concentration and, 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 and like intentional, intentionality to, to be around that and not be just moving in such a way that we, we bring damage to the situation. Gentleness is powerful. It's possible to be powerfully 
gentle. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Because Jesus is near. It's possible to respond to difficulties and difficult people with gentleness. Am I helping you? Here's number four. Because Jesus is at hand, it's possible to experience real peace. He says in verse six, be anxious for nothing. Now that almost seems impossible in the world we live in today, right? Where there seems to be so much anxiety and worry and fear in the world. Statistics tell us that that 63% of adults in the United States are afraid and worrying and feeling anxiety regularly. Uh, They tell us that the average person spends 55 minutes a day or 16 hours per month worrying, concerned. And they also tell us that most of the stuff you're worried about will never come to pass. <laughs> We're just wasting our energy away on worry. But this is the world we live in. I, I, did a, I got on Amazon the other day, went to the books tab, and I just typed in uh, worry just to see how many book titles would come up. I got 50,000. And, and listen, that's just where it ends. That's just when it hit, like, the, it just goes up to 50,000. There's no telling how many are on there. But why is this such a big deal? Because people are worried. There's a lot of books being written about this. Why? Because people are worried. W.H. Auden said, we're living in an age of anxiety. And I think we can agree that that's true, right? But Paul says that we can be anxious about nothing. And he echoes this idea of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 25. I tell you, do not worry about your life. Jesus says, stop being anxious. And you can do this. Why? Because... The Lord is at hand. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace. So the Lord is at hand. So guess what that means? Peace is at hand. Peace is possible. And it's, it's, you can reach out and receive it at any time. In a world full of worry, we have peace within arm's length of us if we're a believer. It's within us. We just got to tap into it. Jesus is our peace. So listen, understand this. In whatever you're facing, you're not alone. You're not alone. So, so often the reason why we get so worried and we get so anxious is because we recognize the thing that we're up against is bigger than we are in ourself. And guess what? You're right. <laughs> it is bigger than you. Most of the time what we're dealing with is bigger than what you can handle on yourself. But there is a God at hand who is peace, who never leaves you. He'll never forsake you. He's always there. And he's readily able and willing to step in. And deliver peace to you beyond just delivering your answer, delivering peace to you in the middle of it. This peace that the Bible talks about surpasses understanding. Philippians 4, 6. But everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So Paul says this. He says, you're, you're struggling with peace. Here's what you do. Pray. Pray. Speak to the one who is peace. Start talking to the one who is peace. Start telling him about your situation and tell him everything about it. The J.B. Phillips translation of this verse says, tell God every detail of your needs, the big stuff, the little stuff, and everything in between. If it matters to you, it matters to God. Amen? So the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. It's like the old hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Because Jesus is at hand. Because Jesus is near. near, It's possible to experience real peace. Because Jesus is peace. And He invites you to come to Him in prayer. To give your worries over to Him. To cast your cares on Him. So He can bring peace into your life. And here's number five. 
because Jesus is at hand, it's possible to think clearly. It's possible to think clearly. Look at this last part here, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate, ponder, keep coming back to these things. Keep rolling these things over in your mind. This, this kind of stuff. Now, when, when Paul wrote this to the church of Philippi, in the Roman culture of the day, this was not a new concept. There were actually uh, Roman, Roman leaders that were teaching and writing discourses on this idea of basically think happy thoughts. Like look for things in this world that you can find you know, happy thoughts and joy in, that you can find beauty in, right? And, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying, I, I think it's good to, you know, go on walks and pray and look at the world. I do this all the time. And I look at the beauty of the world and the trees and the birds and these animals and all this different stuff that God has made. And I, I see the beauty in it. And it reminds me of praise God. That's fine. But, Jesus, but, but Paul here is speaking to a greater idea of not just thinking happy thoughts, but thinking thoughts centered on Jesus. Because all of these things that he lists here, Jesus personifies all of those things. All of that stuff is Jesus personified. To dwell on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and praiseworthy is to align our thoughts with the essence of Jesus himself. The encouragement from Paul here is think about Jesus. Don't just think happy thoughts. Think joy-filled thoughts by filling your thoughts with the one who is joy. Remember when Jesus showed up on the scene? What, what do they keep saying? Like joy and peace, like he's here. Like that's who he is and that's who he wants to be in your life. He wants to bring joy. And, and he's, he's always present since he's at hand. You can always have joy. Let me give you a paraphrase of Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true of the teachings of Jesus, whatever is noble in his character, whatever is righteous according to his example, whatever is pure in his love, whatever is lovely as seen in his actions, whatever is admirable in his grace, focus your thoughts on these things. For in Jesus, we find the fulfillment of all that is good and perfect. In Jesus, we find the fulfillment of all that is good and perfect. So we center our mind on thoughts about Jesus. C.S. Lewis says, when we fix our gaze on Jesus, we begin to see the loveliness of his actions and the depths of his grace. It is through this gaze that we are drawn closer to him, finding in his grace the fulfillment of all that is good and perfect. So we just fill our thoughts with Jesus. Think thoughts about Jesus. Remind yourself, get in the word and, and discover who he is. Discover what his nature and his characteristics are and and then begin to think on those things and remind yourself that he went to the cross for you. Like keep that in front of you as you're facing stuff. He died on the cross for you. He made a way for you. He loves you. He wants to be with you. He's close at hand. Jesus is close at hand. I have good news for you today. I like ending with good news. You like good news? Because of the cross, because of Jesus, God is now touchable and approachable. And if you will reach out in faith, you can connect with him at any time and you can draw strength and you can draw direction and you can draw him into your circumstance. Jesus is at hand and the Bible says he knocks on, on the door of your heart and he just waits for you to say, hey, come on in. 
Come on in. I welcome you into my life. I welcome you into my day. Jesus is at hand. Remind yourself of that. Keep him close by. And through him, you can do all things. You can do all these things he's calling you to do. With Jesus, it's possible to live in unity. It's possible to know real joy. It's possible to respond to difficulties with gentleness. It's possible to experience real peace. It's possible to think clearly. It's possible to do whatever God is asking you to do. The to-do is possible because of the done. Jesus has died on the cross. He's made a way, and he is at hand. He is near to you today, so very near. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make us all aware of your nearness to us right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that you are close at hand, God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come down at this time. You can look up. As I was praying over this weekend, the the thing that God dropped in my heart as we're looking at birthday weekend was God, I believe God spoke to me and he said, I want to give away some gifts this weekend. There's some gifts that I want to deliver to the church. There's three different gifts I want to, I, that, that he, he brought before my attention. The first one is this, the gift of salvation. For some of you today, you've never reached out and taken the hand of, of Jesus in faith and made him the Lord of your life. Maybe you've, you've done the whole thing in church where like a pastor said, if you want to make Jesus you know, your Savior, lift your hand. And so you lifted your hand and you even prayed a prayer, but that's kind of where it ended. And, and you, you would honestly say, I, I've never really lived for the Lord. I just prayed a prayer. And so you, you find yourself struggling because you, you're not really walking this out. Listen, Jesus can't be your Savior unless Jesus is your Lord. Lord means he's your boss. What it means to, to make Jesus the Lord of your life means that you surrender your ways to his ways. A lot of people don't do that. We want Jesus to just bless our thing and we're just going to do our own thing and just hope that God comes alongside it and we just, we just want fire insurance. I'm just telling you, don't, don't believe that, that lie. So what we believe here is what Jesus wants to do a miracle work on the day of salvation and he wants to give you a new brand new born again spirit but now there's a work that starts to take place where now from that spirit you can work out your salvation in partnership with God to transform you completely into the image of Christ spirit soul and body you're a three person being and every area needs to be reborn and it's through the word and it's through the church and it's through a connection with the Lord that you can walk that out and if you would say today I, I've never done that that's not that's not what I've done and I don't care how long you've been going to church, whatever the case may be, if you would say, I've never really surrendered my life over to Jesus, we want to pray with you today that you would do that. Or maybe you would say, at one point I was following the Lord, but I've drifted and I know I'm not right with God. I know in my knower that I'm not right with God. If that's you, we would love to pray with you today so you can receive salvation. It's wonderful. It's so wonderful. The second thing is healing. Jesus is a healer. It's been interesting, a new song, the past three weeks, we've really seen this outpouring of healing taking place, physical healing taking place in the church. At at midweek prayer, uh, two weeks ago, there was like 
three or four significant healings that took place during midweek prayer. At Landmark Assembly, we heard reports of different people that received healing during Landmark Assembly. And then beyond that, even in people's houses, in our house this week on Thursday, my son has been dealing with this pain in his leg that's been plaguing him for two years. That'll just pop out of nowhere. He hurt himself playing basketball, and it's been this plaguing injury he's been dealing with. And, and he, he came to us and he said, I want to pray that this goes away, that this is over. And so we prayed with him. We laid hands on him, prayed with him, and he, he was healed. He was getting up and doing stuff he hasn't been able to do for two years. I want you to know. Yes. That, listen, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's healed anybody, he'll heal you. The question is, will you reach out in faith and receive it? Will you reach out and receive what he has for you? If you're sick today, and listen, I don't care how big or how small it may be, bring it to the Lord. If you're dealing with a headache, if you're dealing with dry mouth, if you're dealing with cancer, if it matters to you, it matters to God. And the last thing is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. To do what we're called to do. Jesus said, don't go try to fulfill this assignment without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's your helper. He's your aid. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to empower you. He wants to be your, your standby. He wants to walk alongside you and help you, help you to do what God's asking you to do. And there's incredible gifts that come with him. And if you've never prayed to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be fully immersed in the Spirit of God, we want to pray with you for that today. So if any of that stuff speaks to you today, I want to encourage you, don't leave today not having gone forth in prayer. If I told you up here that there were gifts for you, and all you got to do is come up and get them, I bet you'd come up and get them. There are gifts for you. And all you got to do is come up and get them. Amen? Do you believe that? Would you stand with me? We're going to go back into a time of worship. <clears throat> but if that's you, if you say, I want one of those gifts, I'm going to come get it. I want you to start making your way down to the altars. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this house. And I praise you, Lord God, for the gifts that you freely want to give away today. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, draw everyone to step out in faith, to receive fully what you have for them today, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.